everybody. You've reached the Mayfair Podcast. I'm Eric. I'm Andrew. And this is Josh. It is June 22nd, 2021. Still in lockdown here in Ottawa. Ray of hope on the horizon that we might get to open a little bit earlier. No official news from anybody. Currently, it's July 23rd is the day we're looking at, but I don't know. Rumor is that that could go up about a week or so. So nothing dramatic, not like a month earlier, but any little bit earlier would be nice. Yeah, we're hyping it up early just in case, you know, but we're also not guaranteeing anything. So we don't want to we don't want to take the fall for this. Yeah, I don't want to jinx anything and then be like, oh, another 100 day lockdown. Sorry, everybody. Not again. It's been encouraging in some ways, like how successful patios have been doing. But at the same time, also for me, kind of devastating in a way, because I'm like, guys, can we just slowly get back? But the point is, people want to be out there. They want to spend the money. So, you know, that will bode well for us eventually. Mm -hmm. My friends and I, for the first time in what seems like decades, but, uh, you know, a year, got together on the weekend just for the most uneventful of gatherings. But basically, we got some shawarma and then sat outside at the dinosaur museum near my house. They have park benches. And so it was Gwen and I and then three of my friends. So like, I think actually the rule right now is up to 10 human beings can gather outside. So we were only half of that. But even that, like we were all kind of sitting far enough apart and all of us taking our masks off and eating within eyeshot of each other. It is this weird mix of we did it and terrifying kind of (laughs) like, I'm glad I don't have any agoraphobia in me because I'm sure anybody who has any kind of fear of that type right now is feeling that a lot of, oh, I can go back outside again, but I've been inside for 15 months. Yeah. It's like that scene on The Simpsons where the old folks go outside for the first time. They're like, (laughs) I'm cold. Let's go back inside. Yeah, my friend is like that. Like we were supposed to have a couple and and basically the day before they were both going to come over. And then she was just sort of like, I'm just not ready. Like, and she just, you know, possibly if we'd gone to their house, maybe, but even then I think it was just, it's just, yeah, like the adjustment after two years or whatever, however long it's been, it's just too much for some people for now. Yeah. And some people are ready to go, but that is the interesting conundrum in chatting with a few of our neighbors, like at House of Targ and Glassboro Books, who both do live events and have bands in and that sort of thing. And and there is a mindset of there will be a percentage of people who are like, uh, I'm more comfortable just inside forever now. Yeah. But I'm confident that we'll be back. I'm confident that human beings, I mean, you see it now, you see it on those patios and just people walking around where a year ago it was much more, it was much more ghost town outside. But now with things, I think in Toronto the other day, a few days ago, it was their first day with, no COVID related illness in their main hospital. So that's something. And yeah, that's huge. And I think Ottawa's darn close to that. So it'll be great, but it will be weird when we're back, especially hopefully, you know, say like six months from now, a year from now, when we can just be open and imagine like having 250, 300 people in to watch a movie like Parasite or Uncut Gems or The Irishman, those kind of movies that were packed previously we'll get back to that and that'll be interesting when we have a blockbuster lineup around the block which has happened before and i look forward to happening again in the future me too Mm -hmm. but yeah so it's funny today is that 
Andrew and I were just chatting before we started up and it's like, even in these times, we're strangely busy because we're three hours behind of when we were supposed to initially record today. But it's because Eric got a phone call and then Andrew had a chore to do at home. He was setting up his new TV. And then right after the podcast, my cat's going to the vet. So it's so funny that even in these times, we're still busy. And that means when we get back to being work busy, everything's going to seem just overwhelming. Oh, I got to do work on top of all that other stuff I was doing. Yeah, it's too much. So today on the Mayfair side of things, I was in again just to set up a marquee. Another birthday marquee went up today. We're just tidying. We've got the behind the screen all tidied up. I'm going to get the trailers all organized because we've still got quite a few left that are currently spread out in the balcony. And we can't have that there when people start coming back. So we got to shuffle those around and put them backstage or tidy them into the projection booth. So we're making baby steps towards thinking like, oh, yeah, people are going to actually start coming to the Mayfair again to watch movies. So we just continue to be busy. Yeah, someone's going to have to sweep that floor. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. All that little stuff. Just because the place has been sitting empty for almost 100 days now. And I've noticed just going in frequently just because there's construction in the neighborhood that there's like a fine layer of grime on the outside of the cinema and it's kind of snuck in underneath not right in but in the lobby and stuff just because less than half a block away they're digging however far down into the earth four or five levels down to do parking for the new batch of condos that's next door it's a big hole right now i walk by it today and it's they're full on and getting ready for that place that was my next question it's like when that's supposed to be done i guess not until next year i would imagine i don't know If I remember correctly, I believe it's February. It's done. People are living there in February, I think. Mm. So it's still a little while away, but it'll happen quick. Like you'll blink and all of a sudden it'll be like, oh, we've got new neighbors. Damn. And then it'll be the March break and we will be playing a Star Wars movie, except there won't be one. But (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll be back to normal then kind of, right? So whatever the, what's the Christmas movie this year? Maybe a Spider-Man, maybe something like that. We'll take that. We'll take anything. We'll We'll take Marvel, you know, Kong, whatever you got. But yeah, we are currently back to doing some virtual cinema. That option went away for us for a little while, just because I think many other parts of the world got back to concentrating on theatrical exhibition. But there's still some places offering it up for folks like us. So over the next month before we return, you can rent a movie from the Mayfair Video Store and stream it at home. And a couple of bucks goes towards the Mayfair and a couple of bucks goes towards the lovely independent distributors. So we forgot to mention in the last couple of weeks, actually, that there's two available right now. One called Sweet Thing from Alexander Rockwell, who is a Sundance Grand Jury Prize winner. This one got really high praise from Quentin Tarantino. The blurb is this like giant paragraph of Quentin gushing over this movie. And I'm not super familiar with Alexander Rockwell, but I remember him in the back of my head as he was one of the Four Rooms filmmakers. Yeah, him and Tarantino are contemporaries. Was he in that L.A. video store era? No, I mean, I don't know where he's from. He might be from New York. I'm not that familiar with his work, but he, you know, he was part of like the 90s indie film renaissance. Yeah, I remember a lot of magazine articles with him and Quentin and Robert Rodriguez and Kevin Smith. He's that era. And I think he remained more indie than all those other guys, I do believe. Roger Avery, I guess, was kind of in between both. Mm-hmm. That's true, yeah. 
We had his latest movie a little while ago, too. I actually like that movie. Yeah. Yeah, Lucky Day. We're still holding up the Roger Avery fan club over here. <laughs> yeah. Man, it's a controversial stance, but I'm kind of like, I don't know. The movie that he co-wrote with Roger Avery is maybe the best Quentin movie, arguably. And clearly Quentin has had a great run, but maybe sometimes collaboration is not the worst thing. And my favorite Quentin movie is with an asterisk because it's true romance. So it's one that he did not direct. But that is, for me, that's hands down my favorite Quentin movie. It's your favorite Tony Scott movie. Yeah, I don't even know if it's my favorite Tony Scott movie. My favorite movie with Quentin's name on it, probably. Tony Scott is like, yeah, I don't know. Did he write that alone? It was the first script he ever wrote. Oh, wow. Before he was a success. Who he was. <laughs> yeah, because he wrote that and Natural Born Killers in his video store days, I guess, right? Yeah, his mm. salad days. <laughs> and he loved True Romance and hated Natural Born Killers. So it's so funny that those two things with two pretty big shot directors happened and Quentin is like on the audio commentary for True Romance and Natural Born Killers, he tried to get his name taken off of it. So it's funny that the two scripts he sold, one went very well from his point of view and one not so well from his point of view. Yeah, Oliver Stone turned it into a an Oliver Stone movie. Big surprise. Yeah. <laughs> it's still memorable. I mean, it, it's weird. Like it, a lot of people, I guess it's a love or hate it kind of movie. Because I remember that was like a badge of honor when I was a teenager, you know? It's like, oh, wow, you saw the director's cut of that? Oh, it's so, so wild. Yeah, it was one of those kind of taboo movies. Yeah, I wasn't a fan. But when I was a kid or in high school, Halloween, there was way too many Reservoir Dogs. So many... 15 year olds dressed up in suits. <laughs> that was the movie that 15, 16 year old badge of honor of, I got to see this restricted movie as I did at the Mayfair. And as I've joked before, when I was that old, I looked like I was 12. So clearly nobody was making much of an effort to check IDs back then. <laughs> I wish I had gone for Halloween as the, let's go to work guy. <laughs> You'd have to shave your head and put on a few pounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. So the other movie that is currently available via Mayfair Virtual Cinema is a 1968 oh. rarely seen classic called Three Day Pass from Melvin Van Peebles. And it was a big art house movie back in the day, Oh, especially considering the first footsteps of black American cinema. It was black and white and a black person, white person love story and all this kind of stuff. So it's a, it's a really interesting point in film history and kind of neat that we're getting to show this restored version at the moment via our virtual cinema, not on our big screen, sadly, but you can still check it out and watch this movie that hasn't been very easy to see up until this point. I actually haven't seen this. Uh, it was a few years before he did Sweet Sweetback and Watermelon Man. This was like his black and white French new wave film. Oh, damn. I think this is the first I heard of it when we were starting to present it here. I'm like, I, I love his work, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Criterion's putting out a box set of his films, and I think that's part of it. Yeah, I was reading about that. So it's going to be such a cool uh, set. Like, And you know, the Criterion, like, they do such a good job with the restoration that it's just always a treat. But before you get the set, rent it from us. <laughs> Three-day pass. Yes. Yeah, right, right. There is no set. But it's an interesting film because I think Technically, it's a French film, even though it's an American director. Yeah. Because it's like shot over there, French crew, French actors. So so this is kind of before he delved into the the real American explosion of black exploitation that he really uh, made a mark in. 
Because mm-hmm, this was made in like 65 or something. Oh, wow. It has a 68 date, but yeah, those kind of movies often take a few years to film. So you could have been filming it and shooting it around that time. Yeah, like mid to late 60s. So before like the black exploitation explosion. And then it's funny because then his son, I'm of the age of remembering his son as this like VHS era action hero, right? Because he was in like Solo and a Highlander movie. Posse. Posse. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> you got a name drop, Posse. I think he directed Posse as well as starred in it. I was like, how did he get that starring role? <laughs> and New Jack City. Oh, true. That's a cool flick, though. Oh, New Jack City. Yeah, that's like a mainstream. That's the closest he got to Hollywood success, I think, or big Hollywood success. Yeah, that was like 92, I think. And he's in Jaws 4. Yep, that's right. Can't forget about Jaws 4. <laughs> so th- that's his biggest success in a way. <laughs> as the Richard Dreyfus role, basically. <laughs> Oh, man. I love that movie in a way. Richard Dreyfuss was too busy, I guess, to do Jaws 4. Yeah, and Jaws 3. <laughs> and Jaws 3. <laughs> That's fine. He, he died. He got eaten by a shark or something. It's fine. They reference him in the second one, I think. Oh, yeah. It's something like some excuse that he had to be written <laughs> so, out of the movie. They're, yeah, they're like, oh, Dr. Cooper is off in Africa doing a shark or Alaska. research. <laughs> yeah, <it's> so, <laughs> He's so in Alaska. Good. Yeah, he had to go back to his home planet. We'll never see him again. <laughs> I always think back of stuff like that. When an actor who was a star passes on doing a sequel, does he look back and go, oh, I should have just done Jaws 2? I'm sure he didn't lose sleep over it. Yeah, I mean, while he's sitting there with lifeless eyes posing for a photo with Lee, does he wonder, yeah. maybe I should have done <laughs> Jaws 4? Uh, I should have dared Lee to wear a Jaws 2 shirt. <laughs> Oh, God, or a Jaws 3, even. Like, you're just like, I, I wasn't even in that one. <laughs> so then, this is hot off the presses, so I can't really give much information on this because I haven't had a chance to research it yet, but we have three movies just booked for our virtual cinema, two available now and another one available in about a week or so. So one's called Moby Doc and is about Moby, the singer. Oh, wow. Then one called Undyne, which I have absolutely no idea because I didn't even do anything for it yet. <laughs> So we'll talk about that more next week, maybe. Undying is? Undying. U-N-D-I-N-E. Okay. <laughs> I'm dying? <laughs> I'm dying? I'm fine, Josh. And then Tove, which is a biopic about the person who invented the children's books, Moomins. What? I don't know anything about, but I have some friends who are very excited about it. We're so out of it. We've been inside too long. Yeah, we sound so confused and blasé. We're so out of touch culturally. That's <laughs> true. We don't know what the hell moomins are. I literally don't. I, I, the children's thing? I mean, I guess I got to watch the movie to find out. Yeah, it's a children's thing, and it's not new. It's a decades old. It's it's kind of something we might not know it, but it's the same as like the way Smurfs have been around forever or mm. Asterix and Obelix or that kind of thing. Like It's a very old cartoon and kids book that... Oh, weird. I think has fans. I told a friend of mine and they were excited about it. It's like the Tintin of its era. Moomins. It might be. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a biopic. I thought it was a documentary. Then I quickly looked and saw that it's a biopic about the creator of that. So it's... Wow. This is always bittersweet because these are five films that in the alternate universe where we were open right now, these would just be the movies playing last week and next week. So it's always a little bittersweet, but... It's nice to put out something that our patrons can watch and our patrons do like participating and helping support us. So it's a, it's a very nice fallback and it supports these distributors who we will go back to 
booking films through during these times when they haven't been able to make money off of getting their movies out there. So this helps helps with everybody in terms of independent cinema. So we hope to have movies as such back on screen soon. But in the meantime, this is a nice fallback for when you're at home and looking for something to watch. We have some good options for you. So it's win-win. Right. And you still have so much time to think about what you will play when we get to open. I mean, that's the real fun. Yeah, people have been asking and it's really unanswerable because we do have a few that we're about to screen. But then I don't know, some of these may be lost to us because they've gone on to streaming services. There might be other newer stuff available. I have a good feeling that this happened last time with some of the retro films we had. They just were delayed. So I have a feeling the first week back we will play Heavy Metal and Wild at Heart and then not positive on the new stuff. Because that's the other thing, too, is new stuff keeps coming. Mm -hmm. Any concern that we were going to run out of movies to screen is unnecessary because there's so many movies. Yeah, it's interesting. Something like, say, Quiet Place 2, which is like coming to digital July 12th. Well, I mean, just as an example of this one, like we're probably not playing it, but it'd be interesting because like something that came out that was in theory successful, but in the States or overseas, but didn't really like it opened in Canada, but not really like around Ottawa too much. And people were still kind of at home. So it'd be interesting to see like the sweet spot of stuff like that, where we'll have the option to not premiere it per se, but it feels like a premiere. Yeah. And I can't remember specifically, but we did that with a few movies in our first, second and third come back from lockdown one might have been burnt orange heresy might have been one Mm. there was a couple that we screened on the heels of having them via virtual cinema and they did fine they did they did well still so so that could happen again with a couple of these titles but everything is a little bit unanswerable at the moment and then plus all of us nerds have been following this hbo warner brothers thing so we might get a call from hbo warner brothers saying hey do you want suicide squad to which the mm-hmm. answer will be yes. And so who knows, you know, we'll see what the future holds, but it's not something I'm worried about. I think it's going to be good times for independent cinema in terms of being able to book big movies, streaming service movies, and all the normal kind of classics and indie films. Oh, the, the other day, Eric sends over a little bit of a news piece that our old friend Steven Spielberg is working with Netflix. Oh yeah, <laughs> I heard about that. <laughs> What a twist. You joined the dark side. Yeah, what a difference. Two or th- Oh, God, I was going to say two years. I guess it's more like three or four now, but he was rallying hard against that. I don't want to point and laugh at him because he's Spielberg, but part of me wants to be like, if I was a journalist, I might play hardball on this and be like, so on this date, you said these bad things about streaming movies and talked down about them and said they weren't real films. And now you're working with Netflix. He didn't want them to be Oscar eligible. Yeah, and considering that it was many of his peers and friends, like Martin Scorsese and stuff like that, were some of those films, it's very funny. And then all of us are doing this podcast from a theatrical point of view, from a cinema point of view. And nonetheless, all of us were kind of like, uh, we don't agree with that. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Like, a movie is a movie for me. Like, if, if it's good, give it an award. I don't, I don't care. Like, it's, I'm not going <laughs> to turn my nose up. Like, that sounds, it's a weird, uh, flippant way of looking at it. But it just seems weird, you know, like, who cares where it originated from or how they made it or who paid for it, really? Yeah, and like, his first movie, Duel, was a TV movie that then got released theatrical some places on Earth. So he's already done it before. It's it's just Mm. funny. But I think it's cool. Anybody who thinks it's going back to the old ways, the old ways of which were already 
pretty much done with or dying before COVID, like before any of this stuff. Uh, I think they're kind of foolish. I, I think the future is the world of everything available everywhere at the same time. Cinema fans come to the cinema. People who have to stay at home, stay at home. People in a town without a Mayfair can still support the movies they like. There might be some stuff like, oh, it's at the Mayfair for a week and then somewhere else. But I really have a feeling that it's going to be everywhere. A movie like Quiet Place 2 will be like, yep, it's on Evil Dead. The new Evil Dead is going to be one of those HBO films. So if next Halloween they say you can play Evil Dead on October something and it's on a streaming service the same day, I'm very confident that we can play that movie for a week and draw a crowd and we'll be cool with that. So yeah, that's the Mm -hmm. future. That's the now. They're dropping Matrix 4 December 22nd, which is kind of interesting because it's that's for most people a very cold, not wanting to leave the home type of time. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting that they're, I think that'll do very well releasing it online the same day or if they're still doing that. I, I don't know how they're going to figure that one out, but it's kind of funny that they didn't do it in like a June or a July or May or something like that, you know? And then it just skews because it means that people at a streaming service, they're making their money because people are subscribing because they want to watch Matrix. But I am sure there will be plenty of Matrix nerds who want that big screen experience. Oh, yeah. Whether that means they make $400 million instead of $600 million, the money's coming from different places because some of these streaming numbers are bonkers. And that means that people are paying to subscribe that month to that service. So I think we can work hand in hand. I think everything's going to be okay for the Mayfair. Now, multiplexes, I think they have more concern, but... That's out of our wheelhouse. That's a whole other kettle of fish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, there's some really, uh, I would love it if we could, I mean, I'm still like, it's, it's hard not to think of the future and be positive, but I would love to get something like the Green Knight, the uh, A24 movie. Yeah. Like that's supposed to come out July 30th and just looks incredible. And that is a big screen looking movie to me. I just couldn't really imagine not, if you had the option to come to a Mayfair type thing for that, like, oh man, we deserve it. Yeah. And I keep telling people that on social media, like they'll be asking and I'm just like, well, we will play it. And it's, it's distributors that we've worked with before. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure we will be offered it. I don't know if a movie like that will go to the multiplex. We have so many interesting examples before of a movie like that, that just gets passed at the multiplex because they're busy screening the matrix and fast and furious and a Marvel movie and a star Wars movie and a Pixar movie. And so it would not be shocking for us to get the Ottawa premiere of something like that, because it's happened before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're, they're going to be playing like Black Widows and that Fast and Furious type stuff, I guess, more so. The Fast and Furious is, is, is the top franchise there. Yeah, and they've got stuff ready and waiting to go as well, right? Because of all the big franchises right now, there's a couple of Marvel movies coming, there's a Fast and Furious, there's a Jurassic Park, there's a James Bond. So their screens seem like they're going to be fairly occupied with that kind of stuff. So that'll be in our favor as well, because everything a bit smaller than that we'll be able to get a hold of, I think, because I think, sadly, and this gets sad, but a number of cinemas did close down, including some chains in California and all over the place. So that means they're going to want to get on as many screens as they can. So I think as a survivor, I think that'll help us a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Or at least, you know, we're going to get first crack at certain things that are maybe on the bubble kind of thing. That's that's kind of what I'm excited about. And especially we talked about it before, but like back catalog stuff that never got the chance to even screen theatrically because theaters didn't exist. Like It'd be kind of cool to do a greatest hits, you know, pick and choose, uh, as it were. I think our silver lining problem will be 
we might have the opportunity to screen one of the Oscar winners, but then we might be a more safe bet to screen a brand new film. So that's not a horrible problem to have. So I think that might be something that we're pondering in the coming months. Like, should we play No Man Land or should we just play something brand new? No Man's Land with Charlie Sheen. Yeah, I was going to say, or should we play No Man's Land instead? <laughs> <laughs> no, the Charlie Sheen movie. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. I mean, you know, we played it 20 years, 25 years ago, whatever it was. Geez, even older, I guess. So while it's on my mind, I want to mention something. So a couple of weeks ago, the Mads, who are Trace Bellio and Frank Conniff, who are MST3K alum, they did a live riffing of a movie called The Lost Missile. And it's from 1958. And so I went into watching this just to watch these guys riff on a bad movie. It's totally connected with Ottawa. It's so fascinating. It's a 1958 film that is set partially in Ottawa, shot in Ottawa. So you get to see all these 1958 surroundings. And it's totally hard to find. Like, it's not out there. But man, now that I know this movie exists, it would be very fun to screen at the Mayfair sometime. Lee thinks the National Archives might have a print of it or something like that. Damn. Well, you didn't say Robert Loja is in it. I think I've seen a clip of it where part that's set in Ottawa. Isn't it like a mother and a son in the street or something? Yeah, basically it's like... The bomb is about to be dropped. Spoiler alert. Exactly. (laughs) But you really see Ottawa. Like you see that they actually shot here with local actors and you see the signs, you see the streets, you see landmarks that are totally different now, decades and decades later, but... It was super fun. It really blew me away to see Ottawa in a in a weird drive-in B-movie from the 50s. With Robert Loja. Yeah, that's cool. And it was produced by Lee Gordon. And our own Lee DeMarb uses Lee Gordon DeMarb as his pseudonym. <laughs> Man, yeah, I've never even heard of this, which I guess is not surprising since nobody's really heard of it. Yeah, no, but it was, it was fun. It's a fun watch to uh, track down. So that might be something on the horizon if we can track that down. I think Ottawa people would enjoy watching Ottawa about to be blown up. It's pretty fun. That's insane. Apparently it's on Tubi. Oh yeah. And it's one of those like 65 minute movies. So that's pretty cool. Oh yeah, (laughs) man, this is crazy. I've never been so intrigued. Like I found a few that, but they're more so like 60s, 70s, you know, like a, like a cop drama or something like that, but that are shot in Ottawa or or even in Montreal. Like some of them are just so cool for that time period to see the, the crane shots or the helicopter shots. And you're just like, like, I think it's strange shadows in a empty room or, a, or strange shadows of a winter's night. I think that might be what it's called. Yeah. Strange shadows in an empty room. It's, it's got like 50 different titles, blazing magnums. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one I'm thinking of. It's so confusing, but, but yeah, it was mostly shot here and it's just some really neat shots. Yeah. You, you see like the canal, I think, or like along the canal and there, mm-hmm. there's a big car chase in the opening of the film. Yeah, it's funny because like, I, you know, I'm supposed to be watching it for the action and for all this stuff happening, but I'm like, oh, wow, is that Parliament? Okay, so let's do a quick round of recommendations before we run out of Zoom time here. Andrew, do you have something you saw in the last week that you'd recommend? Yeah, I've been watching a few things. I, I was on kind of a, still am, I guess, a Blake Edwards kick. Oh, nice. Because there's so many of his films I hadn't seen so I watched, I started with Days of Wine and Roses with Jack Lemon and Lee Remick, which is about this couple who fall in love and get married and just completely degenerate into alcoholism. It's terrific. It's a great melodrama from the early 60s. And it's actually, for its time, pretty progressive in, in its depiction of alcoholism. And then after that, I watched 
10 with Dudley Moore and Bo Derek. And I really like Skin Deep with John Ritter, which has the famous glow in the dark condom scene, which is a must see. Notorious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love the Mad Bomber. If we're talking about Vince Edwards flicks, you get Kurt Connors in that one too. That's a good flick. <laughs> well, Vince Edwards and Blake Edwards, I don't think are related. Oh yeah. Well, listen, I, I like to think of them as the same person. <laughs> I'm going to recommend movies that I feel are related to other movies. That's, that's fine. That's fine. First of all, I watched Hot Knives <laughs> randomly, which was edited by our own uh, Lee. Oh yeah. And he's in it twice. What scarred me in the opening five minutes was uh, he played an old woman, which I was not expecting. And that was very jarring. He makes multiple cameos in that. Yeah. I mean, listen, it just, I won't forget it. I'll say that. Um, <laughs> but Not to be confused with Knives Out. Yeah, totally. Somewhat different movies. This is not the Ryan Johnson mystery thriller. No, but our pal John uh, Hill was in it. And like, I shared a scene with him in Lee's upcoming movie. And so that was cool. I was like, I felt like kinship with this film. So that was fun to see. And I love watching Ottawa stuff, you know, with Ottawa artists, whatnot. But what I would actually recommend, which, which is more funny than it was meant to be, was it's called The Space Between. It's a Kelsey Grammer film that just came out. Oh, is it like Money Plane? Oh, God, I wish. He basically plays Cat Stevens. Oh, my God. And so he was like a 60s artist who was top of the world. And now he's kind of just got a lifetime contract that the label wants to buy him out of. But he's just been releasing like a series of door sounds instead of music and stuff like that. And he's gotten really eccentric. And so they send a guy from the mailroom to try to convince him to sign off. And then the guy learns life lessons through the 60s aging rocker. The music, uh, all the original music was done by Rivers Cuomo of Weezer. So it's basically Kelsey Grammer singing new Weezer songs. <laughs> How have I not heard of this? That's so Right? <laughs> it, it is so good. <laughs> God, I mean, I'm on like the Weezer mailing list. You think Rivers would have sent me a letter saying, hey, I did music for a new Kelsey Grammer movie. I don't know if he's proud of it or not. <laughs> he wanted to surprise you. He surprise. It's a lot of fun. And like that. Now, if we can get that theatrically, wow, you got to do it. So just, there's, there's a recommendation for you. So I still haven't been watching a ton of movies because I like watching movies at the Mayfair. But I've been catching up a little bit. Watched one called Woman in the Window, which is a very Hitchcocky thriller about an agoraphobic who starts witnessing bad stuff across the street from her. And we don't know whether she's hallucinating because she's actually on like depressants and drugs and stuff. And her psychiatrist thinks she might be imagining some of it. So it's one of those kind of Hitchcocky kind of things. It's from the director of Darkest Hour. And it's got Amy Adams, Julianne Moore, Gary Oldman, Jennifer Jason Lee, Brian Tyree Henry. What? It's a really good cast. Some heavy hitters. Seriously. <laughs> Wyatt Russell, who just did such a good job on uh, Falcon Winter Soldier. Good Lord. <laughs> Like so many things, I think this would have been a really big Hollywood tentpole kind of movie. And instead, it's Netflix kind of scooped it up. But, you know, it's not the best thriller I've ever seen, but it actually had some twists and turns I didn't see coming. It looks really great. A lot of really good actors. And if you're into that Hitchcock kind of thing, it's blatantly on the nose, one of those kind of movies. Like it feels like Rear Window, you know, where someone's in one house looking across the street, New York City, brownstones, spying on a possible murder and that kind of stuff. But it was fun. And again, it was bittersweet just in that that's the kind of fun, almost campy kind of thriller 
that is so fun to see with a crowd. And if I would have watched that with a hundred people at the Mayfair, there likely would have been parts of people, cowardly patrons jumping in their seats or gasping and that kind of fun laughter after a scare. So that's the only thing that makes me sad about watching movies like that at the moment is I'm like, Oh, I wish I could have watched that with a hundred people in a darkened cinema. But mm-hmm. besides for that, I, I liked it. It was a, a fun thriller with a powerhouse cast with a crazy cast. Yeah. <laughs> You know, a cast is good when Jennifer Jason Lee has a small role and like barely does anything, but she's still in it and good. But you're like, wow, that's how far down they were. So they got to go that deep in their casting of being like, ah, let's give Jennifer Jason Lee four lines. Sure. What the hell? <laughs> she's around. So hopefully movies like that will be back on our screen soon. I love watching that kind of stuff at the Mayfair. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's about it. We're going to wrap it up for this week. We might have news of a date we can come back sometime soon. But we're looking at mid-ish, late July at the moment. So thanks a lot for tuning in. Thanks for checking in with us on all of our social medias and at MayfairTheater.ca. We're still doing the marquee thing and selling trailers and the virtual cinema. So lots of opportunities to throw some money our way. And we hope to see you back in cinema soon. Thanks a lot, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Plenty of time to lock in that screening of Carnosaur 2 coming up. Oh, Carnosaur 2. <laughs> you got to see it in theater. We should get to also. Controversial turn of events. I realized I actually saw Carnosaur 1 in the theater. Oh, you what? Did? <laughs> yeah. That's not... And not 2? Where'd you see it? Vanier. Oh, wow. I got 1 and 2 mixed up. Well, that's still a good story, but I mean, I, I don't know. The hilarity of it being 2 really made it for me, but I still love it. Thank God journalists didn't come after me. <laughs> You've lost. This is the story of six men. We're posse. All for one, one for all. A fortune in gold. We in trouble. Those who took it. And those who would take it away. (laughs) A saga of the untamed West. Of freedom, justice, love, and revenge. We all got to go to hell. Someday. When you get there... Tell them Jesse Lee sent you. From Mario Van Peebles, director of New Jack City, comes Stephen Baldwin and Billy Zane in Posse.